has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. not gotten the story yet, please do that. It's not too late to catch up. You'll be reading the Bible in chronological order. Uh, I personally uh, went into this knowing it would be great. It's better than I thought. Uh, things have come alive to me. Things have been seen to me. I have some new thoughts I'm going to share with you that were always here that you would not get unless you read chronologically. Uh, the other is I got a letter, uh, an email last night from a man that I love. He's a very mature Christian, seminary degree. And he actually wrote and said, okay, Chuck, when we went into this, I was willing to be supportive. This has taken me to a whole new level. This is better than my seminary education. And I think the more we go into this, the more you're going to agree with that. And so we're about to get into something I think really incredible today. So uh, if you haven't got it, get it. You can still catch up. We're asking you to read a chapter a week, and we're in chapter 5, and we'll have 31 chapters. And when we're done, you're going to know the Bible like you never have before. So uh, let's pray, and we'll start talking about that. Father, I do pray that we're a church who is in your word, loves your word, founded on your word. We stand on your word. We love your word. And God, I know that as you begin to teach us who you are, your heart comes out. I pray that would be true today. And I pray you'd give that a meaning of what we're about to look at, amazing death. May we not miss this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I'll give you a quick apology. I've still got whatever's going around. I actually physically feel better. My throat hasn't caught up. So uh, I'll be drinking tea and pausing and all that today, so I'm sorry. Um, the other thing I want to tell you is we're about to get into the Ten Commandments. Now, now, here's the thing. I have found, and this isn't meant to be condescending, I have found that a lot, if not the majority of people, do not understand the Ten Commandments. Now, I want you to think about that. Because today I want to, I'm hoping you'll go, no, I get it, I get it. But I got to tell you, I found over and over that not that, not, and not, this isn't me condescending, because what happens, we miss what's really going on here if we don't understand the story. But when you understand how they fit in the story, then all of a sudden they become alive. See, a lot of people, a lot of people see the Ten Commandments as a set of rules. But they're not a set of rules. And when a lot of go, well, Christianity is about the do's and the don'ts. And like, no, you missed the point. And so today I want to have you grab that. Well, we've gone around and been asking people, tell us what you think the Ten Commandments mean. And we've decided to ask some of our Crossroads children, what do you think the Ten Commandments mean? And we got their answers. Look right up here. Moses to go on top of the mountain. Moses found rocks that Jesus carved the words on. The Ten Commandments were so hungry that and thirsty that they got so mad. And, and Jesus is calling Moses. Then Buzz Lightyear up here. Buzz Lightyear. God is laser ready. And then Captain America up here. He said, don't be afraid. Captain America's here. And then Moses jumped into action with a gun and fired. The can command it. We're created. Uh, I'm talking with I'm talking. <laughs> All right. I am so glad that we've taught in our children's ministry about Captain America and the Ten Commandments. No, not really. But, but do you understand him? Do you get him? You see, here's where we're going. If you've been reading the story, there's an upper story. And in the upper story, what do we see? The upper story is God's point of view, what he wants to enact. By the way, don't miss this. For you. For you and for me, but for you. 
And, and we see that God created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with him. He wanted to walk in the garden with them. He wanted to be close to them. He wanted to share in that. And, and then when sin came and they fell, what did he do? He still called out to them. Adam, Adam, where are you? Then we go over here in the story and God has a, another man that's vitally important named Abraham. And God asked Abraham to leave everything up that would distract him from an amazing relationship with God. So Abraham goes out and God interacts with him. And here's the key. What does the Bible tell us? Abraham and God were friends. Remember that? He became the friend of God. Did you catch? That's what God wants. And then you get Joseph over here. And God works with Joseph. And he's with him in every single thing. Why? Because he's got this intimate relationship with God. Then we get to Moses over here. And what happens with Moses? We're about to read it in Exodus 33.3. God and Moses talk face to face as friends. See, when you start understanding the story, you get what's going on. It's about God wanting to show his love to you and his care to you, and, and, and that's the big idea. God loves you, and God wants to show care for you. That's the big idea of what God wants for you, and I don't want you to miss that. Now, when we talk about intimacy with God, and we talk about having a relationship with God, we need to understand four things that create intimacy with God, or four truths about intimacy with God. That's where we're going right now, and they come right out of chapter five, and it's covering Exodus 20 all the way to Exodus 35. And I want you to grab it. Number one, and I hope you jot these down. Number one, the priority of intimacy that we would love his presence. The priority of intimacy that you and I would love, that we would love, love, love God's presence. Now I'm going to say something I cannot imagine you would disagree with. So here it is, ready? That the um, priority we place on intimacy determines the depth of intimacy. Now, I want to have you think, do you agree with that? The priority I place on intimacy, the true priority I give it, will determine the depth of intimacy I have in every single situation, including with God. Uh, I'll give you an example. With my grandchildren. If I do not make my grandchildren a priority, will I have a great relationship with them? No, no, I won't. Yeah, right on, man. I won't. There's no way I will. But if I make them a priority and give them time and give them energy and give them attention and, and have special moments with them, man, we're going to be close and I'm going to be Papa to them in an amazing way. By the way, when you give God priority and you give him attention in a minute, we're going to talk about getting to a place with him and, and, and tuning into him and having special moments with him. Guess what? He becomes your Abba. He becomes your dad and he becomes your friend. And that's what God wants. Uh, with my wife, Pam. If I do not make her a priority, our relationship deteriorates. Uh, uh, if, if Pam believes that I would rather be with the staff of the church than with her, will I have a great marriage? No, not at all. And, and everybody knows that. But when I make her a priority, the depth of the relationship uh, takes on incredible, incredible vigor and meaning. And that's what God wants. By the way, my life is better. Her life is better. Our love is more real and, and cherished and felt. You know, I haven't always got it right, but I was talking to Pam before she left, and I said I'd be sharing about this, and I said, give it to me straight. Do you feel like you're a priority? And she goes, oh, I do all the time, but there are lots of moments where you made it extra special, and she reminded me of one. Uh, you're going to understand this was years ago, so get ready. This was years ago. Pam and I were married, and we had, you know, we were doing ministry at Christ Church of the Valley, CCV, and I was uh, the next generation pastor, or the version of Generate like we have here, there, and on Wednesday night, a particular Wednesday night, our anniversary was going to fall. And I went to Pam and I said, hey, I just realized our anniversary is going to come on a Wednesday. And I mean, I love you, hon. I really do. But you know the series I'm in, I just can't imagine missing. And too many good things are happening. And, and what do you say that we celebrate our anniversary, not on Wednesday, but on Friday? Would that be okay? And she was like, yeah, that would be great. I know you love me and, and no problem. Well, I told her that, but that wasn't what I meant. I had a plan. And here's what I did. Three months, literally three months prior to our anniversary, I got up at four in the morning and went out in the garage and got out scrapbooks. And, and I began to take pictures of them with Pam not knowing. 
Now, now, the goal was to take these pictures and to get ready to prepare something for her. It was pictures of when we were dating, pictures of when we first got married, uh, pictures of our wedding, pictures of when we had our children, pictures of the time in ministry, especially at CCV. And I got all these together. And then I did something you had to do back then. I actually went and dropped off at, at the Costco back then. I dropped this thing called film off. I don't know if you know what film is. And, and then I was going to get these things back called slides. Now, I know a lot of you don't know what slides are, but they're rectangular with a kind of a cellophane thing in it. You shoot light through it, and it goes up on the screen. And believe it or not, back then we went, ooh, ah, technology. You know, and, and here's why I did that. You see, once a month, as a part of our Wednesday night service, Pam would go out during the week and, and the weeks and shoot pictures of our students at sporting events, cheerleaders, uh, at prom, uh, when they got awards, other special moments. And she would shoot all these pictures and we'd have it developed into slides. And we had this other new technology called carousels. And uh, we would put the slides in the carousel projectors. And then we had something almost no other church had. It was called a fader. And it cost us $1,000. And what it is, you hooked it to the two projectors. And, it would, and rather than changing the slides, they would fade. And everybody thought that was the coolest technology ever. And then Pam would take a cassette... I'm not even going to describe that. And put it in. And she would play the music and she had practice and practice and practice so they faded on tune. And the kids would come on that particular night and they would cheer and scream for each other and see their pictures on screen. And it was really cool. So what happened? The Wednesday night comes and I walk up there and I said, hey, you guys, tonight is the slideshow night. And everybody cheered, and Pam is going, oh, what? I don't have one. She thought, did I forget? What's wrong? Is this the wrong week? And I said, we have a special slideshow tonight. It's going to be one person. One person we love, one person we care about. And I said, and you know that they've never been in one slide. Pam had never been in a slide. Why? She always took them. And then, boom, the music starts. Now, this gets really good. It's our song. You make me feel brand new by the stylistics. Yeah, and, and that song starts, and Pam's looking, and up comes just pictures of her, even with other people sometimes. But it's a whole slideshow of her, and, and, and it ends with a slide that says, Pam, I love you, and I could not love you more. And I look out there, and she's crying, and everybody's cheering. And I said, it's our anniversary. And then they cheered louder. And I said, honey... I know you told me it's okay that we be here and you know how important this series is and you know how much this night matters, but I want to tell you as clearly as I can, all those things are true, but nothing matters to me as much as you, so I'm taking you on a date right now. And I grab her hand and we head out and I took her on this romantic dinner and it was awesome. You know why? I made her a priority. I, it spoke volumes to her. You see, with God, here's the question. Is he a priority? Do you love, love his presence? Do you love being with him? By the way, that night I wasn't like, oh, I got to take Pam out. It was like, yes, I get to be with her. Do we feel that way about God is the question. And see, then comes the Ten Commandments. And I know you might be saying, well, wait a minute. I, I don't get how the Ten Commandments fit in this. Well, by the way, I, I don't know how many of you caught, if you read the chronology, how this works, because they do. You see, Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt and three months to the day, they come to Mount Sinai. And, and did you catch that? Three months to the day. And they're standing there, and God says, prepare to meet me. And God comes down, and he talks to the people. Well, actually, let me say this. He comes down, and, they, and a loud trumpet blows, and it's the angels blowing loud, loud trumpets. If you didn't underline the word loud many times, it's in there again and again and again and again. And if you ever say, hey, the music's too loud, it's louder in heaven, okay? So you just get ready for that. The loud trumpet blows, and then God speaks, and the people are like shocked at the power and the majesty and the glory of his voice, and they actually cry out, stop, 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 lest we die. Moses, you talk to him, and God, God well, they probably made the right call because they're not ready, but the truth is, I'm here because I want a relationship with these people. Now, did you catch that? I'm here right now because I want a relationship with them. I, I want them to be my people, and I want to be their God, and I want us to love each other. And so what happens, Moses goes up, and God gives him, are you ready, the Ten Commandments. Now, this is important. This is not when he's on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is earlier in Exodus 19 and 20. He tells him the Ten Commandments and some other parts of the law, and Moses comes back with them, and he shares them with the people. Now, now what are the Ten Commandments? According to the law and according to Jesus, it's about loving God. 
See, we didn't have time to go into this today, so real quickly, if you want to jot this down. Deuteronomy 6.4 on is what's called the great Shema. The Shema means I hear and I understand. It's the great understanding. And it's that I would love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. And then I would teach that to my children. That's the great understanding God wants us to have. What is it? Love. Love. And then if you go to Deuteronomy 10, 12 following, I think down to about verses 14 or 15, is what we call the great expectation or the great requirement. What does the Lord your God require of you? But that you would fear the Lord your God. You would walk in all his ways. You would love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The idea is this all-out commitment to God and love for God. See, it's all about love. If you haven't caught it, the Ten Commandments are about love. They really are. Jesus said that in Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Someone comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? And what's Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God. It's the Shema. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 40, don't miss it. On these two commandments depend the whole law and all the prophets. Now what is this? According to Jesus, according to the Shema, according to the great expectation of Deuteronomy 10, it's all about love. When I read the Ten Commandments, I need to see love there. It's about how do I have intimacy with God. It's about how do I enact that intimacy in my life. You know what it is? You know, every healthy relationship knows its boundaries. Have you ever heard that? You gotta, I, all the time I'm talking to people go, your boundaries are just wrong. You got to get healthy boundaries. A young couple comes and says, my in-laws are over way too much. Okay, love your in-laws, but set boundaries, right? You know, my kid's uh, still living at home, and he's... 52. All right, set boundaries. You know, and, and, and not, that's love. Love does that. God is setting healthy boundaries, and, and that's what the Ten Commandments are about. The first four, the first four are about loving God. That's what Jesus said, that the number one priority is it starts with loving God with everything you've got. And so that's what the first four are. And what's the first one, the number one commandment? That you shall have no other gods before me. You see, it's a sign of love that I would say, God, nothing and no, nothing and no one will ever come before you. Nothing and no thing will ever come before you. God, no one or someone or anyone will not come before you. I'm just not going to let it happen. You're number one in my heart and life with all my heart, with all my soul and all my mind. I love you. And then number four is what? I want to spend time with you. God, I love spending time with you. That's the Sabbath, the idea that he's a priority of our time. And then what is next? Six on through, through number 10 commandment is that I'll love other people. I think everybody here gets that, right? I can't say I love you if I go around bearing false witness against you and telling lies behind your back. That would not be loving. I can't truly be loving if I steal from you. I can't be loving if I made a, committed, uh, a commitment to you to be married to you and commit adultery. It's not loving. I can't be loving if I murder you. you, you we would agree with that, right? You know, if I walk up to you and say, man, I love you to death, but next Thursday at nine in the morning, I'm going to kill you. You know, and that just wouldn't work. And so God says, you know what it's about? It's about intimacy and it's about love, but it's about the priority of it. It's about that nothing, no one would ever come before me. And it ought to be the priority. Why? Because you love being in my presence. You love what we have together. That's what God wants us to have. So what happens? Now catch this again. Moses hasn't gone on the mountain to get them in and tablets of stone yet. Moses went up, came back down and said, here's what God wants. And then we come to Exodus 24-7. And all the Crossroads family, you know this first, but I want to make sure we all know it. Uh, by the way, if you're brand new here, our theme for two years is 24-7. If you see 24-7 on doors around the church, it doesn't mean we're always open. Okay, that's not what it means. 24-7 has to do with Exodus 24-7 that says, Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant. He had gone up, come back down, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. He read it to them. And they said, All that the Lord has said, we will assah. It's a Hebrew word, assah, or do with all our might. All that the Lord says, we will assah, and then we will, and our Bibles say obedient, we will be obedient, but it's actually the, the Hebrew word shema. Now, why is this important? It starts out with this, all that the Lord said, not some of it, not part of it, everything God said, I will do whatever he said, but I'm not just going to do it, I'm going to assah it, which means to do it with all my might. 
Do it with passion. Do it with vigor. Why? It's a priority that, God's pas- that we have a passion for God. Then I'll understand. See, the Asa Shema teaches us something. The Asa Shema teaches you and teaches me that by doing, I understand. By doing, I get it. That's what God wants you and I to grab hold of. That the only way my faith is going to grow is when I go out and say yes to God and do what he requires. Now, in your seats all around you are these cards. And, and I know that thousands of you have filled them out, so you don't need to touch it. But if you're here, you've never touched one of the 24-7 I tell some Asa Shema card. I want to challenge you to fill this out. To say yes to this, to everything God asked me to do. And on here are four areas. And if you say, yes, God, I'll be faithful in these and do it with all your might, you're going to find you and God tuning in like you never have before. And by the way, you need to sign it and turn it in and say, I'm with you in this. Now, I'm going to challenge you to do that so you and God grow closer. And by the way, so you begin to hear God better than you ever have before. And, and, and we want to do it together. And just as the children of Israel said, we will do the Asa Shema. I'm going to ask you, we need to do that. Now, what would happen if every single person who's a part of the Crossroads family committed to this? Do you know what would happen? We would be a family, a church family that hears God more clearly. You would hear the voice of God. The second, are you ready, is we would not be a lukewarm church. If you look at this and go, you know, if everybody here did this, we would be anything but lukewarm. Here's the question I want to ask you. Do you want to be a church on fire for God? Do we want to be that kind of a family? And... We've got to go that way. So then what happens? Moses hears them say this, and he's so excited about it, and then God tells Moses, come up on the mountain. I want to show you something. So now he's already taught them the Ten Commandments, but he goes up to to get two things. One, the Ten Commandments written by the very finger of God on tablets. The other thing he's going to get is the, the, the tabernacle, the design of the tabernacle. Why? You're going to see in a minute God wants a place of intimacy, but let's go back to what happens. For 40 days and 40 nights, he's on the mountain. In a very short period of time, the people say, I don't know what happened to Moses. Now, they still see the cloud. They still see the fire. They still see the lightning. God is showing themselves. There's no reason they don't think God's there. But they go to Aaron and say, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us a God we can worship. They don't want the real God anymore. They don't really, they've already veered off course. And, and he makes a golden calf. And they bow down to it saying, we will go back to Egypt and worship the calf in Egypt. Rather than being in freedom, rather than being in the love of God and the intimacy of God, they would rather go back to slavery and bondage, which so many people do. Rather than living in the Asa Shema, people go back to living a life that's way, way, way less than what God will want for you. But when we make him a priority, that doesn't happen. So, so Moses is on the mountain and God says, you need to get down there, Moses. These people are already, already angering me. They've already broken the Ten Commandments. They've already done what they shouldn't do. So Moses comes down off the mountain with the two commandments written by the finger of God. And he sees them, sees them worshiping the calf, the golden calf. And he sees them, by the way, committing sexual immorality and partying in a way that's immoral. And he takes the two tablets and he smashes them. By the way, did you catch? God will never again write the tablets. They will be written on, but he'll just have Moses do it. They lost every chance to have that. And Moses broke them because if you're not going to obey them, what good are they? I don't want you to touch something that God has given you. And then he calls the people in the account, and he enacts what I would call a very severe punishment. He grinds up the calf into powder, and he makes everybody drink it. He says, you're going to drink it. Could you imagine? He's calling out millions of people going, you better humble yourself. And then he, he goes to Aaron, and he can't believe that Aaron's been a part of this, and he confronts him. And on, it's out of the NIV Bible, but on page 65, it says that he said to Aaron, what do these people do to you that you led them in such a great sin? By the way, such a great sin. And Aaron says, don't be angry, my Lord. You know these people are prone to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And for this Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So Aaron said, so I, I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> Is that the lamest excuse you've ever heard? Oh, yeah, I threw the gold in the fire, and out popped a calf. What are we supposed to do? We got to worship it? And it's crazy. And, and Moses can't believe it. 
And then Moses does something very amazing, but very, very needed. Now, by the way, I believe it's needed, and I'm going to ask you to think it through with me. Get ready. We're about to go to a tough question. Was he right? Moses said, the Lord God told me to call out this, who is for God? Who is for God? Come stand with me. And only the Levites come. By the way, the Levites have not been chosen for the priesthood yet, but if you read the story, now you know why they're chosen and no one else. And the Levites come and stand with Moses. He said, put on your sword. And I want you to kill every man you can. Brother, friend, neighbor, you kill them. You put them to death for what they've just done. And the Levites take out their swords and chase down 3,000 people and, 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 and put them to death. Was he right? Was he right? Is, is, is intimacy with God such a high priority, which is what this is about, that when they committed spiritual adultery, they deserve to die? See, we live in a culture in a nation that says no. Hey, it's, it's, it's one of the things that makes this country great that everybody can have their own religion. And God doesn't think that's great. That's an abomination. Now, we're never going to make someone be a Christian. We can't do that. They have to choose it. But we need to understand that every false religious system is an abomination to God and sends people to hell. That's not okay. It's a great evil. And when it proliferates in our country, it makes us anything but pleasing to God. We forget that. I think we wrestle with that. I, I want to say there's probably, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not, I just want you to wrestle this with me. What God just did shows how high a priority intimacy with him is. And I think we don't get it. Here's why. Because I think that if you got really honest, you'd go, I don't know about that. I mean, I just want this God of love who never acts, enacts justice. And, and why aren't they okay with what they, I mean, just tell them they were wrong. And God says, no, it's bigger than that. Now, you ready for why it's bigger? Because the greatest commandment, the number one commandment, is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Are you ready for this? Then the greatest sin you could ever commit is to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, I want you to think that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the story teaches. You'll see it over and over again. The greatest atrocity, the most profound evil, the, the depths of depravity, is that we would not love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. So God sees that as the greatest abomination. See, murder is bad. And don't think murder isn't bad, but God says that to not love him with your heart, mind, and soul is worse. This may be shocking, but I'm going to say it with very deliberate meaning. Molestation is horrible. But to not love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul is worse. That doesn't mean, and I hate the idea that someone gets that atrocity and evil encountered and enacted against them. But that's worse. See, that's God's, that's God's morality. And, and I shared it before, and i got to say it again. When we don't get that, then our morality has been dictated by the world and not by the word. The word of God is clear. This is holiness. This matters. Why? Because this will damn someone to hell. For all eternity. By the way, hell is going to have lots and lots and lots of people in it who loved God a little. But heaven will only have people in it who love God with all their heart, mind, and soul. That's all that'll be there. And, and, and I gotta say, is that our priority? Is that what we see? Is that what we understand? Because I'm not so sure that people get that. And, and when you read the story, the good news is you're going to get it. We're gonna see the high priority of it. So now I'm gonna get um, intentionally personal with you. How, how honestly do we hold to this? Especially parents. Especially parents. Now, I'm not trying to be condemning. I just got to talk about it with you. Um, what are we teaching our kids? I bump into a guy and say, hey, man, I know our church is big, but haven't seen you. And he says, oh, yeah, it's sports season. Our kids have sports, so yeah, we're not in church right now. For just one week, every now and then, oh no, no, for the whole season. So what are you teaching your kids? What are we teaching? The, what, what's the message to the kid? Sports is more important. Now, by the way, I love sports. But is sports more important than God? I mean, is that what the Bible says? It's not okay. 
And, 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 and I just heard that. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I actually challenged him on it. And I said, I think here's what you need to do. Put your kids in the sport, but you tell the coach, my love for God, our attendance at church is too high a priority. We're not going to, certain practices we're going to make, not make, and certain games we're not going to make. Because if it falls at a time, we should be in worship as a family. We're going to be there. Now, by the way, on top of that, don't forget, we give you a lot of options. You have Saturday night, 8 o'clock Sunday morning, 9 and 11, and we'll be adding more. But you say, if I can't make that consistently, I'm not going to do this. Here was his reaction. Ready? Oh, I couldn't do that. We've made a commitment to the team. I uh, coached Little League uh, for a period of time. At one point, as a Little League coach, I lost half my team. Do you know why? Catechism started. And they were preparing for confirmation. And the parents came and said that, you know, we can only do this now. It's way too important. The kids are not going to make certain practices and games. And you know what I said to them? Hey, I hope every parent has your priorities. You know, I, I said, praise God. Eric Liddell was a shoe-in for the gold medal in the Olympic Games. And they scheduled the race he was to run during the time he'd go to worship. So you know what he chose? Worship and gave up the gold medal. What did they do to Eric Liddell? Well, he didn't get the gold medal, but they made a movie about him called Chariots of Fire. And the Queen of England knighted him. You know what you call people like that? You call them heroes because they have commitment and conviction. And we need to have that same commitment and conviction to God. And I'm telling you, it should not even be an, an option. It's such a high priority to be with God. I'll give you another one. And, and this honestly is from my heart. You talk to a family and say, hey, man, how your kids like in Generate? And they say, uh, oh, they're, I, I, we put them on restriction. They're not going to Generate. I said, why would you put them on restriction from Generate? Well, their grades just aren't that good. When they get their grades up, they can go back. So what's the message to their kids? It's a very clear message. You can't miss the message. Grades are more important than God. Should kids get good grades? You bet they should. But as a parent of a son who always got straight A's, and is not walking with God, I would trade that in a second. I would, I, I just want you to know. And I'm certainly not telling you your kids aren't going to walk with God. I'm not wishing they wouldn't. I, I just am telling you, you ought to have a better message. And I'm telling you right now, and I mean this with all my heart, if I had a choice, if I had a choice, my my oldest son that I love, I would die for him. I, I love him. We're friends. But I would rather have him with God than getting straight A's. If I had to choose. And I certainly, certainly don't think we ought to send an opposite message. Because I could promise you this. Your children walking with God and loving God and following God will be successes. And grades will have no factor in that if they follow God. So we need to have a priority in intimacy. Now, if we have a priority in intimacy, number two, are you ready? We'll have a place for intimacy. The next three go fast. Number one's more important. Uh, number two, we should have a place of intimacy where we are being in his presence or we be in his presence. So if you jot that down. Now, why? Because for 40 days and 40 nights, God didn't just give the Ten Commandments. That happened fast. He gave an intricate, laid-out design of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is one of my favorite things to study because we understand how to interact with God in an amazing way. And I don't have time to go into it right now. But to God, it was incredible. First of all, don't miss this. It was the most expensive structure ever made. It was going to cost a, over a billion dollars to make the tabernacle, which was a traveling tent. Gold, silver, the most amazing linen, porpoise skins, uh, uh, the lights, the fires, the bronze, all of that within it. By the way, you might say, but that's extravagant. And God said, yeah, make an extravagant place for you and I to go to. And you might say, but wait a minute. The children of Israel could have prayed anywhere at any time and God would hear them. And the answer is yes. By the way, today, you could pray anywhere, anytime, and God will hear you. But you and God still need a special place. By the way, especially all the wives here. If Pam came home from the retreat and said, Honey, this retreat was great. It was awesome. But I'll tell you after this, I need a date. We need to go somewhere special for dinner. If I looked at her and said, Nah, we could be married anywhere. We're just going to get Del Taco. 
How good a relationship? Huh? Now, by the way, wives, is it wrong for you to expect your husband to want to take you special places? And wouldn't we agree, special places deepen a relationship? See, you and God need a special place. He designed the tabernacle back then so you could come and meet with him. And it was a place of sensory worship, all-encompassing worship with smells and sounds and lights and, 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 and amazing times of doing something special. And God wanted that. And he called it the tent of the meeting. And what happened, it was set up dead center in the midst of them. And this gets really cool. What happened is God not only told him to make the tent, he said, make the children of Israel camp in exact proportions based on their tribes. And if you understand, if you write it out and draw it out, guess what you're going to see? They camped in the form of a cross. When the lights were lit at night, if you looked down from a mountain, you would see a perfect cross. In the day, if you looked upon them, you'd see a perfect cross. And dead center in the midst of the exact center of that cross, in the center of the cross, was the place where you would meet with God, the tent of the meeting. By the way, they were pointing to something. At the very center of the essence of the cross of Jesus Christ is that God wants to meet with you. That Jesus died so you and him would meet together in a very intimate way. That's what God wanted. So Moses would go to the tent of the meeting and meet with God. And it talks about him going there and the glory of God falling. And in Exodus 33, verse 11, it says this. For thus the Lord used to, in the tent of the meeting, used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned from the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. The calling was, anybody who wants to meet with me is welcome, come. The calling was, is I want to be with you. The calling was, I want a place of intimacy for you. So I want to ask you, where's your place of intimacy with God? Where's that special place you and he meet? I have some of those. One of mine is Angeles Crest Christian Camp. Whenever I go up there, the memories of what God did in my life and places I sat and talked to him and conversations we had, they just become all new again. Uh, in my house, I have a very special place. I sit with God, that he and I sit there together. And, and you know what? I, I know I've told you this before, but I'm now on 3,701 straight days just being with God in that spot pretty much every time. And, and just being with him and talking with him. And... Um, and sometimes I know every now and then it sounds like, are you bragging? I just want you to know, from someone who's done that this long, it gets better and better and better. It, it really is. Just to sit with the Lord in that moment and, and be with him is incredible. The other day, I was, uh, the grandkids came over early. And so I, it's a priority. I love my grandkids when I'm in there. And I hear them go, where's Papa? Where's Papa? And, and Pam said, he's meeting with God. I think that's pretty cool. I heard about a mom of 11 children. Okay, who was in a, an insane asylum. No, not really. Uh, a mom of 11 kids, and she just needed to meet with God, but she lived in a small house with 11 kids. So she just taught her kids, when it's time for me to meet with God, mom's talking to Jesus. And she would go in a closet and take her air apron and put it over her head. <laughs> and all the kids would get real quiet because mom's talking to Jesus, and I don't want her to tell on me. And, uh, you know, where's your special place with God? I, I hope this church is one I really do. For me, it is. To be with you and worship with you is a special place with God. But I also want you to have intimate times with him. And God wants that too. And if you read it, you saw that's what he wanted. The third thing is God had a passion for intimacy because Moses craved intimacy. So we need to have a passion for intimacy, craving his presence. That's what you want you to write down. That you and I, if we're going to have great intimacy with God, we have to have a passion for intimacy. and We have to crave his presence. See, it's interesting in Exodus 33 that this prayer exchange happens with God and Moses. In verse 13, if you have it, look at it. Now, therefore, I pray you, Moses said, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I might find favor in your sight and consider too, this nation is your people. And God said to him, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Now, now that is huge. And, and I don't know if you grabbed it, but let's make sure we don't miss it. Moses said, if you're not going to be with us, I don't want to go. I cannot live anywhere you're not. I can't be anywhere you're not. I uh, gather teams of people to go over the sermons and talk about, am I really bringing this out correctly? And so I was in one of my team meetings to go through these truths. And I said, do you guys get how big this is? 
And Talia, who's our chief of staff, said, oh, yeah. She goes, I get it. She goes, do you, do you get what God is saying here? Do you get what Moses is saying? She goes, here's what it is. If my husband, Ricky, walks up and says, I love you, she goes, I love that. But if Ricky walked up and looked at me and said, Talia, I can't live without you. That's bigger. By the way, is that bigger? Now, now that's what Moses just said. God, I can't live without you. Here's a question, and, and it just, it's a good checkpoint. Can you live without God? Can you go a day without meeting with him? Could you go a month without meeting with him? And, and, and I want to tell you, God loves you. He loves you. But when you fall in love with him, you ought to have a passion for intimacy and a craving for his presence that takes you off the charts, just wanting him. And God desires that for you and desires that for me and wants us to have it. And I put it in your notes in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. It says, whenever we do that, we become changed. God transforms us from glory to glory. He changes us as we behold his presence. Something happens. Part of it, we fall more in love with him. Part of it, we become better. And we just ought to be those kind of people. I, um, again, I hope I, I, maybe I'm bragging. If I am, I need to repent. But when I talk about the, the love I have to meet with God, I had someone, very well-meaning person come up and say to me, well, Pastor Chuck, I think the reason you do that is because you're so holy. By the way, Pam was standing there going, no. <laughs> and, and I really said, but I meant this. I said, it's not because I'm so holy. Do you know why I meet with God every day? Because I'm so forgiven. Because I'm so forgiven. Uh, the grace of God amazes me. The love of God amazes me. The fact he wants to be with me amazes me. Do you realize God has nothing better to do than spend time with you? Uh, I want to say that again because I know it's true. God has nothing better to do than spend time with you because you matter so much. There's nothing more important to God. And, and, and when we fall in love with him and get to know him, we start to feel the same. And so Luke 7, verse 47 says, To him who has forgiven much, there is much love. To him who has forgiven little, there's little love. And I think the person who realizes the forgiveness of God and the love of God, they love him so much they can't stand not to be with him. So we have, have this passion for intimacy and a craving for his presence. And, and then number four, there's a price of intimacy. Now you ready? The price of intimacy is huge. In the tabernacle, there were five offerings that were offered. Uh, ready? And I want you to lock this in. This helps you understand the Bible. This is a big deal. Ready? The burnt offering, which you read, every time you read burnt offering, you know what that means? It's a total dedication offering. It's where you take a very expensive animal, and, and by the way, the least that animal would cost on our day and time is $20,000. So if you were making a total dedication to God at the tabernacle, you would have to come up with $20,000 to do this. That's a lot of money, right? And you would bring it and it would be burned to a crisp and no one could touch it. Because it was a sign of total dedication. So whenever you read burnt offering, it was the idea of total dedication. Uh, the second offering is called the meal offering. And that was uh, not a tithe. You tithe besides this. But what you did in the meal offering is as God blessed you and, and, and gave things to you, you gave back to God on top of your tithe. Then the third one is called the fellowship offering. And that's where you thank God for your family and your friends. And at different times you would make an offering to God for that. Then the fourth offering and the fifth offering were sin offerings. It was the sin offering and the guilt offering. Whenever I sinned, not knowingly, I offered a sin offering. Whenever I knew what I did, I offered a guilt offering. And so it was to ask for forgiveness. And those were all extremely expensive offerings. But God says today, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do something else. I want you to accept the offering I made. Because all of those offerings pointed to how expensive and how, how sacrificial the, the, the offering of God would really be because what happened is he offered his son, Jesus Christ. And we're now, we're not trying to buy it back. We just need to accept it. See, the, the idea that God, that you're ready, I hope you and I have a priority of intimacy with God. We love being in his presence. I hope you and I, I hope you and I have a place of intimacy where we be in his presence. I hope we have a passion for intimacy where we crave his presence. But did you catch what this really teaches? Did you catch it? God has a priority of intimacy because he wants you. Did you know you're the priority to him? Now, don't miss that. You know, you might say, well, Chuck, you're preaching that we ought to have him as a priority. No, what I'm preaching and teaching is God sees you as the priority. He wants to love being and sharing his presence with you. Uh, uh, God wants to meet with you, having a place in intimacy. God craves intimacy. Why? Because God 
God wants it so badly, he paid a price of intimacy by sending his only son to die on the cross for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Nothing is more valuable to God than his son Jesus except you. And the Bible says it was for the joy of God that he gave Jesus for you. Because he wants intimacy. And so the Ten Commandments and the tabernacle and all of that, you know what it's about? It's about loving God and letting him love you. But we just got to accept it. You just got to accept it. Uh, A friend of mine is a pastor and he was away speaking at a church and he was in a horrible car accident. I mean, bad, bad. And the doctor said that he would be in the hospital for at least six months. He was hundreds and hundreds of miles from his family. For his wife, it wasn't even possible to bring the kids and be with him. And here he was going to have to lay alone and they were going to miss each other. And, and a man who was a Christian heard about it. And he thought, I can't have this. So he arranged for this husband to be taken to a very, very well-equipped medical plane and flown to their hometown and put up in, in one of the best hospitals in town with the top care in a private room so he, the kids and, and the wife could enjoy him and, and he could recover. I mean, the guy, my friend, could not believe someone would do this. And so it was obviously a great expense to this person. And, and when he arrived and was in the hospital room and his wife and kids were with him, he felt so much better that he knew he'd recover faster. About a week after he got there, the man who did this walked into the room. He said, how you doing? My friend said, great. He said, I can't thank you enough, and I promise you I'll pay you back. And this man said, no. I don't want you to pay me back. Just accept it as a gift. And my friend said, no, I just couldn't live with myself. I got to pay you back. And the man said, I'm promising you, you don't want to do that. Just accept it as a gift. God called me to this. I want it for you. I want it for your family. That's all that I just want you to thank me and accept it. And that's enough. And the guy said, no, I insist that I pay you back. I just promised. So how much did it cost? And the guy goes, okay. The ambulance, the plane, the hotel stayed for six months. He wrote that amount on a piece of paper, handed it to him. My friend opened it up and said, I'll just thank you for the gift. (laughs) It was so astronomical, he couldn't believe it. The man said, that's all I wanted. Now we know what it costs God. You ready? You're worth it. You You know what it costs God? Jesus, and you're worth it. He made you to matter because you matter. And I hope you know that. And so I hope you're living a life of intimacy with God. Today, if you've never entered that relationship, and we're going to go to a time of invitation, so let let me ask this. Please, this time is so important and it matters so much. I'm going to ask for the next five minutes till the song is you don't leave. I I really want to say please don't leave. You know why? The minute you get up and move, you distract from what's going on. So let's tune in together to this moment. Because nothing matters more right now to us, and I believe to God, than there are some of you here who need to give your lives to the Lord. There's some of you here who need to actually say, talk to God and say to God and pray to God and say, I want to give my life to you. Jesus was given because God loves you. And when you say yes to God, you're opening up your heart and you're opening up your life to the intimacy he wants to have with you. So I'm going to ask you right now to think about it. Do you want to give your life to the Lord? By the way, in the last service, we were, had a man that got baptized, Daniel. Daniel went to crossroads up till the time he was, I think, about 30 years old. And, and then he fell away and became a true, devout atheist. And then four years of emptiness, he couldn't take it anymore. And even though he didn't believe in God, he came back here to be with us. And in one week, he was so amazed at the Spirit of God that he gave his life to Christ and his daughter got to baptize him last hour. And I think that's cool. There's some of you today, I'm praying, I'm praying that you would know you matter this much to God. So open your heart to him. He really loves you. And maybe you only have a little bit of faith. Just open up to him and let him take you. And what we'll do in a moment is I'll lead a prayer and invite you to say yes to God. There's some of you today who are Christians. And you need to open up to God. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to a group of Christians, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open up to me, I would come into him and I would dine with him. And the word dine there is the, the Greek word for the intimate meal. We would share intimacy. Maybe today you're a Christian, but you're not in an intimate relationship with God. So you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Open up. Pray this prayer. Say yes to him. Why? Why? 
be someone who actually is a Christian, but you're far from where God wants you to be in our intimacy with him. So open up to him. Today, there may be some of you who are hurt. You need God's healing touch. You need to get close to him. And the closer you get to God, the more his love will be upon you in a way that will drive out the pain and the hurt and get rid of that cloud that's upon you. And so what do you need to do? Pray this prayer and say yes to God. And there's some of you today that may have blown it. I mean, you blew it big. And I got to tell you, no matter what you've done, God could not love you more than he does. And he wants the blood of Jesus and the love of God to be upon you. So open up to him today. So I'm going to ask in a moment, anybody who needs to say yes to God, that the Spirit will touch you and move, and you'll say yes and pray this prayer. And then after that, we're going to ask you to step forward. But we're going to ask you to do this with God. And by the way, there's some of you today who need to take the next step. A next step in your life with God. And you're a Christian, but you know it. Some of you have never been baptized. Baptism is an intimate experience with God. And by the way, don't miss that. It's meant to be an intimate experience. You're buried with Christ. That's why you have to know what you're doing when you do it. That's what the Bible teaches. You have to know what you're doing. So if you've never done that, today may be God calling you for the next step. Let's pray. Father, I really do ask that you would just uh, be in our midst and stir amongst us. That right now you're meeting with us here. And God, we love you. We love your presence. We love your love. And God, I also love the fact that week in and week out, you've called for people here to come to know you. So I'm going to ask right now, Lord, that you begin to touch anybody here right this moment who needs to say yes to you. God, I pray for a person who walked in and in their heart and mind, they didn't want to like what's happening. And actually part of it they didn't like. But now they're sensing that they have to let go and they have to let their pride end and they need to give their life to you. And I pray they're going to do that right now. Father, I'm praying for a husband that's here today that needs to open up and commit to you like never before. And you have amazing plans for his family. But for those to be enacted, he's got to step up. He's got to step out. He's got to be ready. And I pray today he knows it's him. Father, I pray for someone right now who finances have been the barrier that's kept them from you. And I pray, oh God, you're stirring on them and that, that's going to let go. So Lord, I pray for anybody who needs to give their life to you, who needs to be cleansed from things in their life that would just, that's hanging on and making a burden for them. I pray for anybody who needs healing right now. God, I pray for anybody who needs to recommit and come back to that joy they used to have. I pray they do it. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And I'm really going to ask this. All of you who are Christians, would you start praying for people who need to make this decision? And right now, I'm going to lead that prayer. And if you're ready to say yes to God, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. If you're ready to open up to God or recommit or find God's loving touch, just say these words. Say this. Whisper it. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross so that I would be forgiven and cleansed from all my sin. So that I would be healed from all hurt and all pain. So that I would be set free from my past and from fear and even from myself. And I know you want me to be alive and you want me to be brand new and you want me to be yours. So I open my heart to you. Please, Lord, fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live, really live, the life you want me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that prayer, praise God.